0: With winter coming, and all the health issues it brings, now's the time to make sure your immune system is as strong as it can be, and to build your natural immunity. It's time to empower your immune system. Empower supercharges your immunity because it's made from AHCC, one of the most powerful mushroom extracts to ever come out of Japan. It's been shown to enhance your immune protection by over 300%, and it has the robust research to prove it. Empower is my first go-to when it comes to immune support. I personally take it daily and prescribe it to my patients in need of immune support. And who doesn't these days? If you're looking for a way to supercharge your immune system protection and build your natural immunity, Empower is the solution for you. For more information to order, go to theharmonycompany.com. That's theharmonycompany.com. Or call 800- 422-5518, 800-422-5518. 422 5518 5518 Use coupon code HOFFMAN20 at checkout and get a 20% first-time discount and free shipping. That's theharmonycompany.com for Empower. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. We're talking about Big Chicken. It's a new book by today's guest, Marin McKenna. She's an investigative reporter uh, with lots of insights on how uh, our current food-raising and agricultural practices have spawned an epidemic of antibiotic resistance. And uh, there's more to the story about big chicken, and we're going to share with you uh, some solutions, some pr- practical suggestions. Uh, Marin what about uh, – have chickens – changed, you know, not just in terms of um, the use of antibiotics. They're bigger, but they've been bred to be different. They're a very different kind of bird than they were, say, pre-World War II.
1: That's right. Uh, You know, we talked when we first uh, began discussing chicken about um, how our grandparents would have had chickens out the back door. And those chickens would have looked very different to the, the, the modern broilers that... Are the basis of most of industrial chicken today. They would have been kind of slender and upright and active. They would have been able to fly. They could run fly. They, they, they had wings. Fit. They could, you, could, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they would they peck around in the barnyard.
0: They were, you know, where they were active. Right. And they
1: would find their own food. They would feed themselves. I mean, they would get feed. They would get hmm. meal, but they also would, you know, scratch up grubs and insects and things like that. Yep. Yeah. So, um, a modern broiler is, uh, inevitably white. They are quite round. Um, They have an overabundance of breast muscle because that's what we like to eat in the United States is the white meat, which is the breast and the tenders under it. And relatively speaking, their legs have not kept up. Um, They are bred to be docile because there's no point in having them be feisty and run around a lot. And they have had bred into them an insatiable appetite that, that keeps them eating and eating and eating such that they grow to slaughter weight in in an average American chicken in about 42 days.
0: And, and this is a deliberate so, product because it's called the Chicken of Tomorrow. It's, it sounds like something from the <laughs> World's Fair in 1963, you know, the Chicken it of does, Tomorrow. It does,
1: doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I think of it as like something out of the Jetsons. I just kind of hear <laughs> yeah, right. science fiction music in the back of my head when I say it. Yeah. So the problem with chicken was that in in several there, there's several points in the story of chicken that are really interesting because they're points at which um, demand and supply really get out of whack. So um, there's a there's a moment when we start to produce more chicken because of growth promoters, because of starting to put them in crowded barns and so forth. But the chickens are still not very delicious. Um, you know, they are still descended from the birds that were mostly intended to be egg layers. And so there's a contest that is sponsored by the USDA with the assistance of the A&P supermarkets. And the goal of this contest at the end of the 40s and the beginning of the 50s is to remake chicken. They they talk about wanting a chicken with a breast you can slice like a steak. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to make the chicken just t- more like what we have today, which is a chicken that is very meaty. And, and over over the use of antibiotics and the reshaping of genetics through hybridizing these chickens into the chickens of tomorrow, and the precision nutrition that follows along after, we now get chickens twice the size in half the time as in mm-hmm. the
0: 1950s. Mm-hmm. And the Mark Schatzker uh, is the name of a, of a guest we interviewed a couple of years ago. He wrote a book called The Dorito Effect, and the subtitle is The Surprising New Truth About Food and Flavor. And it's his contention that uh, we've taken things like tomatoes and we've given them longer shelf life and more uh, sex appeal. They look uh, more round and red and, you know, less blemished. Uh, but we've lost, in the process, we've lost taste. And to some extent, you know, real uh, aficionados will say the same thing has happened to chicken. You know, there are people who, like you, apparently you've spent some time in Europe. Uh, you've enjoyed uh some of the uh the, the breeds of chicken that they have there uh, where they really prize flavor over weight and you know other characteristics uh and um and they're better they're more flavorful
1: that's right and so you know all these rolling innovations that together brought us the modern broiler that we have today they did a number of things they gave us the the most efficient most consistent system for producing the most inexpensive protein we've ever had. But all the things that we did to make it efficient and consistent and inexpensive, they, they are precisely the things that take away flavor. Because what creates flavor in an animal with muscle is getting to use that muscle and getting a mm-hmm. varied diet and you know getting to exercise and, and drinking on its own and getting natural light and having you know, endogenous vitamin production with, within its tissues. And none of that Happens to a bird that is just sitting in the same spot in a closed, dark barn, getting up only to eat and drink. Um, and I mean, the one thing that I, uh, one thing that I think is important to say is that even though this, this story of the transformation of chickens, is a pretty dark story, there there are some positive, positives in it now in just in the past couple of years. And one of them is that some chicken production is changing.
0: Mm-hmm. It's changing in
1: ways that 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 they re- it reduces antibiotic use.
0: Um, and, and, and that's very them. very interesting to me because, uh, you know, on the one hand, consumers now have the perception that antibiotic-free is an added value, so that we're having greater awareness we don't want to consume them. But it would seem to me that there there has to be more of an economic impetus that antibiotics ultimately got played out as a means of enhancing growth. Is that correct?
1: Right. So the so the reasons why. So to to, to catch up what we're talking about so to set the stage for this. So there's been this real evolution just in the past couple of years since 2014 um, of very large chicken companies such as Purdue turning away from antibiotics with a couple of reasons behind it, I think. First was that they realized that they weren't getting much benefit anymore, so why should they spend the money? You know, that 10 to 15% gain that we talked about in the 1950s no longer exists because other things such as housing and nutrition and cleanliness on farms have gotten better. There also was that government regulation coming in for the first time with the Obama administration to make it much harder for producers to use growth promoters in the United States following what Europe had done more than 10 years ago. But I really think the biggest thing is that a consumer movement of healthcare systems and school systems and uh, enlightened parents and advocates and chefs and so forth together turned away from meat raised with routine antibiotics, understanding the risks. And when they said to the companies, we we just really don't want to spend our money on this anymore. The companies listened.
0: Yeah, I and however, it's left uh, consumers with sort of a welter of possibilities when they go to the poultry counter, uh, and you know you'll see uh, you know free range, you'll see organic. You'll, these terms are sort of bandied about. Uh, happy hens. Well, that's the eggs. So, you know, what, what are some of the different levels and how can you kind of, kind of maneuver your way among them and obtain the, the cleanest product?
1: It's true. We do ask a lot of consumers in label raising and, and we, we have to help them, you know, be careful about what they're raising. Uh, sorry, what they're reading. So here's an example. So almost every package of chicken meat in the United States will say cage free, no growth hormones. Well. Broilers in the United States were never raised in cages so that okay. is a claim that is both true and pointless. <laughs> um similarly, it's illegal to give growth promoters to chickens. So I said that wrong, sorry. Similarly, it is illegal to give growth hormones to chickens. So mm-hmm. that's sort of a label claim that is both true and again not really worth very much. I my my ask of people is that they when they can and when they can afford it they buy antibiotic free because antibiotic free is actually more important than organic for certain things. Hmm. In chicken, the organic standard starts on the second day of a chicken's life. So that chicken could have been injected with an antibiotic in hmm. the egg, which happens in 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 uh as a companion to a vaccine that's given in the egg, or it could have gotten antibiotics on the first day of its life. That could cause enough of a perturbation of the growth microbi- the the gut microbiome to to really start generating hmm. antibiotic resistant bacteria. So though we think of of organic as the be-all and end-all, antibiotic-free has some specific other things that it can can add to the mix. And I really ask people to support those producers when they can.
0: And what other measures are being undertaken uh, to get uh, U.S. producers to emulate their European colleagues who, who really value quality and flavor? And you know, perhaps the, the food is a little more expensive, but it seems that European consumers are going big time uh, for those values. They're not always looking for the least common denominator.
1: That's right. And so, I mean, of course, you have to allow for the fact that food, I think, just plays a different role in European society, culturally, than it does here. Especially in France, yeah. But it's really fascinating to me that some of the companies that have pursued antibiotic-free aggressively, and and again, Purdue is an example, have found that going antibiotic-free inevitably leads them to a reconsideration of their standards for animal welfare, such that Purdue, a year ago, put out an animal welfare plan that it made public with the assistance of animal welfare advocates, which is probably not something that they would have done before. And Mm -hmm. those standards call for things like an improved diet, so no rendering products, no protein from other slaughtered animals, um, no industrial discards. the, The birds can now get light. Uh, they're putting windows in the barns, they get exercise, there are things put on the barns to allow them to flap from and hop up on and, and so forth. And they may even be slightly changing the genetics of the chicken to make them a little more balanced and to allow them to live a little longer. And Purdue executives have said to me that it was the reconsideration of antibiotics that brought them to a reconsideration of animal welfare. And again, it's all those things. That, that, that we now allow, we used to not allow the chickens to do and now we may again that will create more flavor in chicken. And that will, I hope, bring us back to what chickens more used to be like while maintaining the, the efficiency and consistency of the high throughput protein production model we have. If you know, if you can afford a pastured bird um, that, that spent its entire life outdoors scratching up bugs and, and getting sunlight on its feathers, that's fantastic. Their labor costs are really high, though. So to me, that even sort of industrial-scale chicken can go antibiotic-free while it's not as good as the pastured bird, it's a significant win for public health.
0: As you know, it's important to me that the supplements I recommend and use are of the highest quality. That's why I stock the Protocol for Life Balance product line at my online dispensary, drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. Protocol for Life Balance offers a wide range of professional-grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research, including methyl action. Methyl action contains B vitamins in their active forms, promoting a vital process called methylation, which helps maintain normal homocysteine levels, supporting neurological, cardiovascular, eye, and bone health. Methyl action is a good choice for anyone who wants to support their overall health and well-being. It is Especially beneficial for individuals wanting to keep their homocysteine levels within normal range and want to age gracefully. For more information and to order methyl action, just go to drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. drhoffman.com protocol for life balance. Methyl action. Well, you know, when Americans, uh, were leery of eating fish in the 1950s, they came up with a solution, which was Mrs. Paul's fish sticks, which is, um, <laughs> you know, a way to, uh, disguise the flavor of fish, uh, coat it with a batter, uh, and all kinds of seasonings and probably some chemicals, uh, to entice people to eat more. And of course, the favorite food of little kids these days is the uh, chicken nugget. Chicken nuggets. And the chicken nugget
1: was invented to make people eat more chicken.
0: Yeah. And so uh, as a delivery system for a chicken, uh, how suitable is it? You know, And of course, a lot of fast foods are based around not chicken that's discernible as coming from part of a chicken, but some sort of distillation of chicken meat.
1: So the, the the chicken nugget has a really fascinating history, and it goes back before McDonald's introduction of the nugget to a very little known Cornell University professor named Robert Baker, whose assignment in the 1960s was to find a way to make people buy more chicken. <laughs> so this, is, this, this comes after the Chicken of Tomorrow contest. Yeah. They've come up with these big new breasty birds. The chicken is still just like a thing confined to the bones of the carcass, so people can only like roast it or bake it or fry it. And all of those things are things that take a while to do in the 1960s as women are entering the workforce more. Nobody wants to spend an hour cooking dinner at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And so Baker has the idea to take chicken off the bone. And he invents so many things in his basement laboratory at Cornell that we now take for granted in supermarkets like chicken cold cuts and chicken hot dogs. And his signature invention modeled after the, chicken, after the fish stick was what he called the chicken stick which we later came to know as the chicken nugget. And it was really that that moment when chicken becomes what the industry calls further process that is made into things that are apart from the chicken carcass. That, that chicken starts its journey into becoming the meat that we eat more than any other in America, um, a meat that we literally eat uh, according to the poundage every single day.
0: And a, you know, surprising fact that I learned from your book is that, uh, you know, when you think of eating chicken that's maybe tainted, you think of, you know, developing a, a stomach ache, diarrhea, uh, you know, something akin to Montezuma's revenge. Uh, but it turns out that a lot of UTIs, urinary tract infections in women, uh, can be traced to the bacteria that are found in chicken. Now, how does that work? That the bacteria that come from a chicken that you eat sometime Somehow find their way into the urinary tract. What's going on there?
1: This is such a fascinating story and it's just one example of the way in which the back, the resistant bacteria that are generated on farms can have these unintended consequences moving through society along paths that we don't recognize. So. If you think of what usually happens with a foodborne illness, you know, you have, there is a, there is a pathogen that is originated in the guts of an animal and it it gets into your guts when we eat the, the, the animal product. And there's a a reaction that is relatively swift. Sometimes it's only hours in the case of something like staph food poisoning. Sometimes it might be a couple of days, but the reaction, as you say, is this gastric upset that really lets us know we've eaten something bad. But an alternative to that is that the bacteria, the resistant bacteria come, are swallowed by us and they just become part of our gut microbiome. They are there sort of quiescently. They do not cause an immediate mm-hmm. disease reaction. Right. And then at some point, they get out of our guts again and that you know, the, the women who have had UTIs will understand this intuitively. You know, mm-hmm. for women the urinary tract and the gut are not that far apart, right. and so which is the, the gut bacteria get introduced to the urinary tract and cause a bladder infection, and in some cases climb up to the kidneys, which are a kind of back door mm-hmm. to the circulatory mm-hmm. system. Now, UTIs are so common, there are six to eight million in the United States every year, that They're just treated every single time as both a one-off and only, and also as something that's very minor. So a woman who has UTI symptoms will go to her doctor. They will almost never do a culture to figure out what's going on. They'll just empirically Mm -hmm. prescribe one of a standard set of antibiotics that have been recommended by the professional societies. Mm -hmm. Well, if that woman takes that course of antibiotics and then her symptoms recur, then the natural assumption has always been, oh, she just got infected again maybe she has a partner who is, is colonized maybe she's just sloppy maybe she's having too much sex there's always this
0: mm-hmm. sort
1: of discussion honeymoon cystitis so called exactly right? yeah, yeah that there's, there's there's this sort of gendered assumption that it's that women are somehow misbehaving and UTIs are the result but but sometimes what happens it's not that it's a new that she's been reinfected it's hmm. that her original infection was never cured and it yeah. wasn't cured because the antibiotics didn't work and those are the cases that in which what is effectively an untreated infection, because it's a it's a, mm. an infection that's been treated with a drug that is not working, climb up the urinary system into the kidney, which is a backdoor wow. to the circulatory system, move into other you know cause kidney infections, move into other organ systems, eventually cause septic shock. Yeah, there are. Was E. coli number
0: 157 or something like that? Is this just it's a, a devastating? It's e. coli
1: ST131, e. yeah. uh, I think okay. is the most recent culprit. Mm-hmm. So the, the few, there's a small cadre of researchers who have been trying to elucidate this process for more than 10 years now, and their estimate is that of the 6 to 8 million UTIs that occur in the United States each year, maybe 10% of them, that's 600 to 800,000 cases, might be due to foodborne antibiotic resistance. Just think of the cost mm-hmm. in, in doctor's visits, in lost work time, in lost work productivity, in, in transit time, in multiple prescriptions. That is one of the not yet identified costs of overuse of antibiotics on farms. And we could fix that if we dialed down the antibiotic use. In raising meat
0: animals, so so bottom line for consumers, if they go to the market and they pick up, say, you know, uh, chicken wings, chicken breasts, uh, for uh, you know the weekend uh, grilling, uh, what are the chances that they will get uh, uh, products that have uh, been exposed to antibiotics? I mean, if they're not careful and discerning.
1: You know, it's very hard to know. I mean, even th- yeah, because you know, there's there's, there's there got to be some
0: a- cheating. You know, there's some you know farmers and producers who maybe I don't know, maybe they get the antibiotics from veterinarians. They don't no longer can purchase the antibiotics officially, but maybe you know they see their 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 chickens are, are scrawny, they're dying, uh, in an effort to to uh, rejigger production. Uh, maybe they just you know, they find a friendly vet, you know, who's going to give them some antibiotics.
1: There may be cheating. There may be cross contamination. There even is a, a a case on record where there were companies that thought they were doing the right thing by going antibiotic free, but what they didn't realize was that the the parents and grandparents and great grandparents of the birds that they were oh, raising for me vertical transmission the, the pr- from right, transgenerational the production wow. pyramid. Yeah, those uh, birds were given antibiotics in their lives <sighs> and. Drug-resistant bacteria, you know, it's already known that salmonella can pass transovarially. It can pass from yeah. a hen to her chicks. Yeah. So in one of those layers of the production system, which which about which very little is known, they are very, very tightly held intellectual property, antibiotic resistance was generated and came down through the production pyramid and existed in birds that, as far as the producer was concerned, mm. had been raised antibiotic-free. So the only answer to this, as far as I'm concerned, is that we just we just have to get out as many antibiotics as we can the peril will never go away until we do and if we can then we will reduce the selective pressure that causes antibiotic resistant bacteria to emerge and that's where we need to get to because we need to preserve the actions of our remaining antibiotics as long as we can
0: indeed you know it's a it's a major international crisis and you know we talk about uh, you know all kinds of perils to the world environment uh, overpopulation uh, environmental pollution, global warming, but uh, this is a crisis that can't be ignored, and uh, it starts at uh, the supermarket counter. You know, and we as consumers uh, can uh, can vote uh, with our dollars. So that's right, three times a day with what we eat. Indeed. So, and in addition to your book, which is excellent, and it's it's impeccably uh, researched, balanced, uh, and informative, and it's a it's a great really is a great window into understanding not just uh, chicken but just our overall agricultural system in this country. Um, w- additional resources that you can point people to?
1: So um, if people want to know more about this, you know, there, there are, there's a lot more information at the book's website, which is big in the book. I myself can be found at, uh, at MarinMcKenna.com and I do a lot of calling out on social media of new research that I find interesting, and most of that is on Twitter, so people can find me at Marin M C K on Twitter and also on Instagram.
0: Marin M C K, okay, That's which right. is short for McKenna. Great. Well, hey, thanks for your great work. Uh, you're making a wonderful contribution to our understanding, and uh, keep up the great work. Really appreciate. Thank you, you so much. Here.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for this discussion.
0: Marin McKenna, I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I want to thank you for listening to the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app, and get new episodes automatically downloaded every weekday. And please give us a rating and review. It truly helps new people discover intelligent medicine. The Intelligent Medicine Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medicine. advice, diagnosis, or treatment, users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. Finally, please visit drhoffman.com and discover everything Intelligent Medicine has to offer, including frequently updated unbiased health news and fully vetted product and supplement recommendations. This holiday season, don't miss out on your chance to stock up on your favorite supplements during the Black Friday Cyber Monday sale of my online Full Script Supplement Dispensary. November twenty fourth through twenty eighth, five days only get off and free shipping on my entire inventory of top supplements at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere, the very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. It's the safest and most convenient way to purchase my curated supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast free shipping and optional refill reminders via text or email. It's safe, secure, and includes world-class customer service. Just go to DeerHoffmanStore.com for 10% off and free shipping for five days only from November 24th through 28th. Reinvest in your wellness goals with savings on my favorite supplements. Just go to DeerHoffmanStore.com to sign up for your free full script account. DeerHoffmanStore.com.